Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to our evening worship service at Redeemer after a really full day, a good day, a wonderful day. We're here to worship our Lord again. Special welcome to you if you're not ordinarily here, if you're new or visiting. This is the time where we worship our Lord. As you can see, twice a year we celebrate the Lord's Supper in the evening, and this is one of those times. So after the evening message and the song, we'll be celebrating the supper together. But before we do that, let's prepare our hearts for worship, and then we'll hear our call to worship. call to worship tonight is from Psalm 57. Hear these words. The psalmist says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's stand and sing the Ancient of Days.
Let's pray together. Father, we live in a world and in lives that are constantly changing. What was true yesterday may not be true about our lives today or tomorrow. We see people that we know that have passed on from this life to the next. We see nations change. We see our own nation changing. We see our families changing, our communities change, or even our bodies and our minds change. But you are the one, according to your word, that is constant. You never change. You are the same from the beginning to the end. You are the one that we can rely on to always be a constant. And Lord, we say that in thanksgiving and praise. That as much as life may seem very fluid to us, you are the God who is in control of all. And since you have been from the beginning to the end and you know all things, we can put our trust in you without any hesitation because you will care for and provide for us in every way imaginable. And here we are, Father, to worship you, to thank you for being a God like this. And we ask that every bit of worship that we offer to you, every intention of our heart would please you tonight. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
This evening, our mission's prayer is for Young Life. Young Life is a Christian ministry that reaches out to youth in all 50 states and over 100 different countries around the world. The goal of Young Life is to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to grow the faith, serving primarily middle, middle and high schoolers. One of the Young Life leader couples well known to us is Kevin and Michelle Suen, who have served in Central America for many years. Currently, they are residing in Grand Rapids and have asked for a prayer for their future. In May, they will have two kids graduating, and they are seeking wisdom and discernment as to which way the Lord will have them go. Further requests are for those serving in Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, and Argentina as they desire to share the gospel in those areas, and that the youth and others would come to know the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Prayer is also requested for those serving in Haiti. Most of the Young Life leaders in Haiti have been given the option to leave the country due to the violence, but most have chosen to stay so that they can continue to serve the Lord there. Young Life leaders are grateful for the to the Lord for the 8,000 young people that attended various summer camps throughout Latin America and the Caribbean this past summer. So please join me in prayer. Lord, we are grateful for the ministry of Young Life as they seek to serve you in bringing the good news of Jesus to the young people of this world. Lord, as the fight rages on with the forces of evil trying to confuse and deceive our young people, We praise you that Young Life has the mission of sharing the good news of the gospel, proclaiming the truths of your word. We praise you that while Satan attempts to gather more and more souls to him, you intervene and snatch those whom you have chosen from his hand through the Young Life ministry. We are grateful to hear that 8,000 young people attended various summer camps throughout Latin America and the Caribbean this past summer. And we pray that you would continue to use that to your honor. We are grateful for those who serve in Young Life in the areas as well as Haiti. We ask that you would protect them and use them to show Christ and to be Christ-like, even in difficult and impoverished circumstances. Lord, be their strength. Grant that they would be a beacon of light and hope where, where it seems so hopeless. We ask for a clear direction for the Suans as they seek to do your will and to serve you in the future. Grant them strength and wisdom to that end. And Lord, we ask that you would give each of us a passion for the lost. This is a dark world and the forces of evil are ever present and would deceive even your very own people if they could. But you are an ever present refuge and in you we find our hope. Help us to be bold and to share that hope as we see in the work of young life. Hear us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand a fable, and we will be singing Jesus Paid It All. Thank you. 
please join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. Father, we thank you that Jesus did pay it all. Hebrews says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Thank you for your sacrificial love that took away our sins. We ask, Lord, that through the preaching of the word that you will give us grace to all who are here, that our trust would be completely in Jesus. We pray for Pastor Dan that your spirit would be at work at him in this place, drawing men, women, and children to see the all-sufficient Savior who alone can bring freedom from sin. Give us your spirit to encourage and guide us tonight. And we thank you for your church here at Redeemer and for the time that we could spend together this morning. Continue to bind us together as the body of believers here. We pray for the collection now taken. Bless the cheerful giver and the deacons as they administer the gifts given in your name. And we ask this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.
Well, good evening. Hope you are as eager and as expectant to open up God's Word as I am. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, looking at verses 11 through 16. So if you want to turn with me in your copies of Scripture there. 1 John chapter 3, continuing in our series uh, through the Ten Commandments and reflecting on uh, the Catechism and how it unfolds and unpacks the intention of the commandments. But tonight, what we're actually going to be looking at is the larger catechism. And the way those two things relate, the the shorter catechism and the larger catechism, the the larger catechism is is basically whenever you would work out your math problems to to the nth degree and you you had to fill it out all the way to the bottom, shorter catechism is a bit more like punching it into the calculator and getting your answer uh, the larger catechism is a little more full, and I thought it was helpful here on this question of the sixth commandment. So we're going to be looking at question and answers uh, 134 and 135 of the larger catechism, and then I'll be reading 1 John chapter 3. And I, and I hope this, these two things work together uh, to help give us a, a greater sense of what the Lord would call us to. So first, which is the sixth commandment? The sixth commandment is, you shall not murder. What are the duties required in the sixth commandment? The duties required in the sixth commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices that tend to the unjust taking away the life of any. By the just defense of them against violence, patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, a sober use of meat, drink, medicine, sleep, labor, and recreations, by charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior, forbearance, Readiness to be reconciled, patient bearing and forgiving of injuries, and requiting good for evil, comforting and aiding the distressed, and protecting and defending the innocent. Now to God's word, First John chapter 3, this is the word of our God, give it your full attention. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So far, the reading of God's word. The sixth commandment is probably the least controversial commandment, at least on the face of it. I think you go... 
to, to just about any culture at any time and in any place in the world, and they would say, well, murdering's bad. Killing people's bad. That's, we shouldn't be doing that. But when we read uh, the shorter, and especially the larger catechism, we find that this commandment is far deeper and far more expansive. The, the logic of the sixth commandment is massive. It extends to all of our lives, and it extends to the deepest part of who we are. This commandment that seems so simple, something that we don't even really have to try at. You know, I, I don't have the, the impulse to murder people daily necessarily. That's probably something good to hear from your pastor, right? Right? But the sixth commandment is not just uh, concerned with murder with our hands, but with the heart of hatred that leads to murder. To be pro-life according to how the, the sixth commandment is unfolded in Scripture and in the catechisms is to deal with the hostility that exists within our own hearts, the hostility that we bear toward other people. Our passage tonight helps us to see that more clearly. John has been busy meditating on the marks of a true and authentic Christian. And one of the chief marks that John notes, and he comes back to again and again, is that a true believer loves the brothers. Loves the brothers. He loves other believers. He loves the church. And John sets up here a, a, a contrast that invites us to examine our own hearts and lives. Does my heart tend towards self-sacrificial love or hatred? Do we tend toward love or murder? If, you're, if your heart were a slope, which way does it, does it go? And how we answer that question speaks a great deal to the genuineness of our confession. This is not just an insignificant matter. Your, your anger and your hatred, your hostility, but this strikes at the core of your confession as a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, this strikes at the core of your life as well because hatred and anger will consume all that you love. And destroy your life. We must deal with our anger. I'm going to hold on to the big summary of this passage. Usually we give like the big expansive, like this summarizes everything neat and tidy. I'm going to hang on to that until the end. But I want to go ahead and just give you a brief roadmap. First, we're going to look at the contrast between Cain and Christ. Then we're going to, to ask ourselves, examine ourselves of, what, of our own hearts. And then finally, I want us to see the hope we have for the obedience that we might offer to the Lord in the sixth commandment. So a contrast, an examination, and then finally, a hope. So look with me first uh, again. What We're going to jump into verse 12. It says, we should not be like Cain. Cain is the first individual that John brings into the contrast. Cain, who we read of in Genesis 4. Cain, who murdered his brother. 
It's what he's known for. We see that, that if, you, if you jump into Genesis 4, it's he murders Abel after God accepts Abel, his brother's offering, instead of Cain's. Now, some suppose it's because because Abel brought meat and, and Cain brought fruit, and the Lord prefers meat to fruit. That might be your own personal preference, but that wasn't the heart of why God rejected Cain's offering. Abel's sacrifice was by faith. And we come to see that as we look at the many other New Testament passages that reflect on, on Cain and Abel, that, that Abel had faith as he was offering his, his sacrifice Cain lacked that faith. He lacked that trust in the Lord as he was bringing his offering. Cain was turned away from God in his worship rather than turned to him. And John says it this way, verse 12, it says, Who was of the evil one? Who's of the evil one? He he gives us something a little bit deeper than what, what Genesis 4 says which is that that Cain's parentage was different than Abel's. Now that's a little surprising at first because Adam was both of their fathers, but but John is making a comment about their spiritual spiritual parentage, that, that Abel was of God and that Cain was of the evil one, of, of Satan. We know that this is Satan because of a few verses before. It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been, been sinning from the beginning. And as, as Jesus tells the Pharisees in John 8, you are of your father, the devil, for, you, for your will is to do the father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth, for there is no truth in him. We see that Cain was just adopting the, po- the pattern of his spiritual father. The, the apple did not fall from the tr- far from the tree. But John says this also in, a, in another way. He, Cain was of the world. That, that's, that's what verse 13 in, indicates. Do not be surprised, brother, when the world hates you. What John is saying there is, is Cain is participating in the pattern of this world, which is to hate God's children, to hate God's people. Do not be surprised when the world hates you. Just as Cain hated Abel, so too will the world hate the church. As Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Because you are in Christ, the world will reject you. The world will be hostile to you. The world is set against you in spiritual darkness that it would overcome you and destroy you and leave you in the dirt. Cain was of the world. We might bring another word in. This is Paul in Galatians 5, that, that, that Cain was of the flesh. He says in, in Galatians 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now hear this. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, 
rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. All of these things which go against this commandment to not murder, this murdering heart is a part of the flesh. It's a part of of our default setting whenever we're born into the world is hostility against God and against his law. It's unrighteousness. And this is, this is what it means to be like Cain, to nourish and, and harbor that hatred, hatred for other people, and especially hatred for our spiritual brothers. Cain's heart was set against God and therefore against his brother, And he was consumed with anger and hatred and murdered his brother. That is the pattern of Cain. That is the pattern of the world. That is the pattern of the flesh. That is the natural proclivity of our hearts. That's the the lie that the world seeks to tell us. That is... The, the pathway that Satan hopes to lead us down is the pattern of Cain. We must not be like Cain. But John introduced a contrast now, a different figure. That's in verse 16. And it's maybe surprising to you, he's not mentioned by name. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That he is Jesus. That he is the Christ that that John has been meditating on. The the source of all love and life. Jesus is set in stark contrast to Cain. That might, might strike you maybe a little odd, again, at first. But consider how strikingly opposite they are, how black and white they are. Cain took the life of his brother. Christ laid down his life for his brothers and sisters. Cain murdered because he was jealous of his brother's righteous works. Christ gave up his life because of his brother's unrighteous works. As Peter says in 1 Peter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Christ is the exact opposite of Cain. John tells us the motive of Christ as well. Whereas Cain was consumed with hatred Jesus was absolutely and abundantly filled with love. Absolute love for his brothers and sisters. Romans 5 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died is the Lord of love who supremely fulfills the sixth commandment. Not just in abstaining from evil. He never killed anyone, that's true. But even to the depths and the extension of his life, he was 
filled with love for his neighbor and love for his people. He cared so deeply for his church that he died for us. He willingly gave up his life, even though there was nothing worthy in us, even though there was nothing deserving Even though he was supremely perfect and we were imperfect, Jesus died for us. What a contrast between Cain and Christ. So we have what is is perhaps the most fundamental contrast that you could strike. The life-taking hatred of Cain or the life-giving love of Christ. And it's in the midst of this contrast, these two towering figures, that we're left to to ask ourselves and examine our hearts. Whose example are we following? Who are we becoming more and more like? Who are, whose pattern are we being conformed to? Is it the pattern of Christ or is it the pattern of Cain? That's what he's, he's really concerned with here in verses 14 and 15. He says, we know that we have passed out, passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Do our actions reveal that we are abiding in death or that eternal life is abiding in us? Do our words convey the heart of Christ for our brothers and sisters? Do we seek to comfort the afflicted or do we pass them by? Do we give self-sacrificially that that others might receive mercy? Are we patient and forgiving? of the failures and even injuries that others commit against us. This is not to say, and I want to be really clear here, this is not to say that we should not seek justice, that we should not make things right, that if you are facing oppression, that you should just bear it and forgive. In fact, that would go against the sixth commandment. That would be to give in to the pattern of this world. Rather, this is talking about the ordinary disposition and interactions that we have with one another. When our brothers and sisters fail us, are we inclined to forgive? Do we seek to tear one another down with our words? Do we we tear other people down behind their backs? Even in this church building, you're across the hallway and you see somebody walk past and and you share something that, that would make them look worse and make you look better. Do you pick fights? And provoke others unnecessarily. Do you like a little conflict? You like to stir it up a little bit at the church? 
That's not the pattern of Christ. Do your thoughts reveal love for the brothers? And these are the things that no one else knows. These are the things that are kept away, hidden away, that only God might know, God and yourself. Do you nourish charitable thoughts about others? Or do you relish the opportunity to think less of others? Do you rejoice? Do you rejoice when your brother does good? Whenever he seems to be more accepted by the Lord? Or out of jealousy? And your envy? Do you hate him? You hate him with all that you got. And even though he might see a smiling face, you are livid. It seems like God is blessing him more than he's blessing you. He'll never know. That's the pattern of Cain. It's not the way of Christ. That's not the heart of Christ. That's unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, we must kill that in our hearts. Or it will kill us. Show that the eternal life that, that Christ offers is, is not really in us because we continue to stir up that fire instead of quench it. Called to, to end the hostilities that would mark our hearts. When we're honest, the law reveals our failure to love others as we love ourselves. We'll see that again and again as we look at other commandments, but, but especially as we regard the life of another, their well-being, their good. This warning from the law should come strongest to those who are the most indifferent to loving their brothers or sisters. Those who have grudges that refuse to do anything about them, this law should strike you in the heart that you might do something about it, even tonight. Do not let this sin consume you. For those of you who, who feel the prick of this law, though, and recognize your failure to love and, and really long to, this, this law is meant to point us to something even better, something something so good. It's, it's, this isn't supposed to overwhelm you that you might go home and say, woe is me. I should hate my life. But rather, it should drive you to the true hope for obedience. The true hope that we might have to have a, a new obedience, a new walking after this commandment and in gratitude and in joy. And that's ultimately found in Christ's love. Again, it's found back in verse 16. You, you thought I covered verse 16. We're coming back to it. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Christ's atonement is not merely an example. It's not merely a pattern. Rather, it is salvific and transformative and trains us how to love. The love of Christ is not just some model. It does something within us. It changes us that we might love 
others more completely and more fully, that we might love them how he loves them. As it says in 1 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is the life-transforming power of Christ through his cross. One of my favorite quotes of Luther. The love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. And so if you see in your own heart a lack of love, you can come to him. He died for your hatred. He died for your hostility. He died to set you free from these things, to to transform your heart that you might love the things he loves and hate the things he hates, that you might love the ones he loves, his bride. And it's as we love one another that that we have hope to love our neighbor, that we would have hope to love this world that is so in desperate need of his redemptive brotherly love, that we can move out and offer the hope that we have in him. We can overcome, and here's, here's the summary statement. I told you I'd give it to you. We can overcome the worldly hatred in our hearts by knowing the brotherly love of Christ. We can overcome worldly hatred in our hearts by knowing the brotherly love of Christ. To the extent that we take hold of him, that we truly appreciate him, to the the extent that we apply him to our hearts, Do we have hope to love one another? We look to him for help. When we see the places we fall short, we ask for his guidance that by his spirit he would conform us more and more to himself. That we would be a community, a community known not for the hatred and death that we see out in the world, but that we would be a community known for our love for each other and that many would come to know the love of our Savior Jesus. That is the hope that we have in him. Let's go to him now. Lord, again, when... Whenever I've preached on these passages, I've wondered, who is sufficient for these things, Lord? These things are so far greater than what is possible in our flesh. And yet you are greater than our flesh. You are greater than this world. You have overcome Satan. Lord, there is nothing that you cannot do. And so, Lord, we ask that you would transform us, change our hearts, to love one another. Lord, that we would not foster the heart of Cain within us, but that we would look so much more deeply into to your good and perfect love and that would, that would lead us to love one another. 
Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the hope that we have in you, that, that when we find the hatred, Lord, that, that your love can cast that hate out. So, Lord, may we return to you again and again, even this night, Lord, to find your redeeming grace. Lord, we ask these things in, in your name. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing now in response. Oh, how good it is. may be seated. As we come to the Lord's table, hear the words of of institution now from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Also going to read from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is, not, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And as you've heard this evening, the sixth commandment calls us not merely to uh, abstain from murdering with our hands, but calls us to examine our hearts of our, of our anger and our hostility that we offer uh, against one another. The Lord Jesus instituted this meal as a remembrance of him, of what he has done. It's a, it's a way to recall his self-sacrificial love. It's a, it's a way of remembering what he has done, that he has freely offered himself for his people. And as we eat and drink, we actually participate in Christ. We join together and celebrate and, and, and are, are nourished and strengthened for this. This is not just a, a symbol. We're, we're also not actually eating of the, the physical body and blood of Jesus. But we, we by the Spirit, the Spirit that He's poured out into our hearts, participate with Him and with one another. And it's for that reason I must warn those of you who have not confessed Christ, those who are not walking in good fellowship with the body, that you should abstain from this meal. In doing so, you, you risk greater condemnation upon yourself. So if you're walking in some sort of secret and unrepentant sin, if you've never trusted in Christ, I, I must warn you, Please do not partake of this meal. This is, is not for you. I, I would encourage you in, to instead take a few moments now and to, to, to pray. Pray to the Lord. Ask him to show you who Jesus really is. That we, that we cannot walk in darkness and think that we're in good fellowship with him. That we cannot prefer the path of, of hatred and join with the Lord of love. So as we come, I, I warn you, not because of me, but because Christ warns you, do not partake. But on the other hand, this table is not for perfect people. You may have heard the message tonight, a, a message reflecting on the law. And you might be burdened and considering you are not perfect. This is not for perfect people. This is medicine for those who are ailing, those who are broken, those who recognize their proud hearts and confess that to the Lord, those who, who want to walk in the pathway of life. This, this meal is meant to encourage you and, and assure you of his love. And so I would implore you if, you, if you are a communicant member in good standing with Christ and his church, 
where, where Christ's gospel is proclaimed, I would invite you, strongly implore you to come and partake in this meal and delight in your Savior, Jesus. He, he is the Lord of love. He gave himself for you, and he invites you even now to dine with him. So let's go to him now and give thanks. Lord, we thank you that even though our works were unrighteous, you willingly came and laid down your life for us. In your perfect love, you redeemed us. You called us to yourself. And, and you offer us now a reassurance to our, to our minds, but, but to our senses as well, to confirm that we belong to you and that as you have promised, you are surely returning again for us. That, Lord, the, the sin that we battle against does not overcome us, but you will overcome the evil. So, Lord, we pray that you would use these elements for this, for this purpose, that you would strengthen our faith and our, our hope and our love. Lord, that we might follow you more closely because of this meal. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, on the same night when he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and blessed it and gave it to his disciples as I'm ministering in his name, give this bread to you.
Our Lord Jesus said, take, eat, this is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, the Savior took the cup, and after having given thanks as as I have done in his name, he gave this cup to his disciples. As I, ministering in his name, give this to you. Our Lord Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink of it, all of you.
Let's go to him now. And Lord, we do pray that you would continue to strengthen us throughout this night and throughout this week. And even as we recall this meal that we've just partaken in, Lord, that you would assure us of your love, that we would, that we would find in it uh, a hope uh, against the temptations and, and darkness against the world, Lord, uh, that when we're tempted uh, to, to choose what is wrong and evil, Lord, that we would remind ourselves that we are yours, that you will not separate yourself from us, but that you love us so deeply and you call us into new obedience. Lord, we trust that you are able to do this because you are mighty and good and loving. And so we thank you, Lord, for this meal. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, if you would, please stand to receive the blessing of your God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.